this war that we are in, does it come down to this? These few moments we have left in your presence, make it clear from Holy Scripture. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I hold here in my hands a rather yellowed piece of uh, newspaper. I clipped this out years ago. Do you remember the uh, syndicated columnist Ann Landers? Does that name ring a bell? All right. So I've had this in my file for years. It's yellow, as you can see. Today's the perfect day to pull it out. I want to read it to you. Somebody sent a reading to her, and she's sharing it with her readers. Title of the reading, Wet Oatmeal Kisses. The baby is teething. The children are fighting. Your husband just called and said, eat dinner without me. One of these days, you'll explode and shout to the kids, why don't you grow up and act your age? And they will. Or, you guys get outside and find yourself something to do and don't slam the door. And they don't. You'll straighten their bedrooms all neat and tidy, toys displayed on the shelf, hangers in the closet, animals caged, and you yell, now I want it to stay this way. And it will. You'll prepare a perfect dinner with a salad that hasn't had all the olives picked out and a cake with no finger traces in the icing, and you'll say, now this is a meal for company, and you will eat it alone. You'll yell, I want complete privacy on the phone, no screaming, do you hear me? And no one will answer. No more plastic tablecloths stained with spaghetti. No more dandelion bouquets, no more iron-on patches, no more wet, knotted shoelaces, muddy boots, or rubber bands for ponytails. Imagine a lipstick with a point. No babysitter for New Year's Eve, washing clothes only once a week. No PTA meetings or silly school plays where your child is a tree. No carpools, blaring stereos, or forgotten lunch money. No more Christmas presents made of library paste and toothpicks. No wet oatmeal kisses. No more tooth fairy. No more giggles in the dark. Scraped knees to kiss or sticky fingers to clean. Only a voice asking, why don't you grow up? And the silence echoes, I did. Kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, come on. We spend all of our childhood just dreaming of the day that we can become grown up. And when we get there, what was all this fuss about? And then we have children. And what do we tell them? Grow up. Why don't you just grow up? And they do. And we're all alone. Kind of sad, the irony of life on this planet. And yet, you take this book. Almost every single page of the book is sounding this plea. Won't you please grow up? Take the little passage we've been reading all around, but time today to read it. Open your Bible to Hebrews, our theme book. In this Galaxy 3 series, Hebrews chapter 5. Find Hebrews chapter 5. I'm in the NIV today. Whatever Bible you have, that's fine. You got, uh, you didn't bring anything? Pull the Pew Bible in front of you. It's page 806 in your Pew Bible. I want you to see this. This is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We've been to this chapter before. 
Verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand what's up. Verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Two Sundays ago, we put our little one-year-old granddaughter, Ella, on a plane to fly out with our son and his wife, Kirk and Chelsea, to their new job in Salem, Oregon. As I wrote in my blog last week, it's been pretty lonely around our house these days. Because you see, every Thursday, Karen's day off from nursing, Chelsea would bring Ella over and she'd spend the day with us while I'm writing my sermon. I don't know how many bottles I have fed to my little Ella. Papa has fed her. But there came a day with that, with that milk, there came a day when Ella was now ready for something called pablum. Do you know what that is? It is a soft, bland bottle of yuck <laughs> that babies love. Go figure. And then the day came when, she, from, from pablum and milk, she's, she was ready for these little chunks of food in applesauce and, and pumpkin sauce. And then those little white teeth began to appear. And then, Papa, now you can give her just, or no, too big, do I, a little smaller, just a little piece so that she can begin. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's, it's the story of babyhood. You start with milk, and then you eventually get to solids. Isn't that right? That's precisely Hebrews' point. Look at verse, uh, verse uh, 13. Could catch the tail end of uh, 12. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, Hebrews is not dis discussing physical babies. Hebrews is deploring spiritual babies who have never graduated beyond milk. You're still sucking milk. You're supposed to be into something bigger and deeper. Why don't you grow up? That's precisely the appeal of Hebrews. I'm going to tell you something, though. That little verse 14, if you go beneath the surface, there's something controversial there, and I want to show you just what it is. So let's go back to verse 14, but before we read verse 14, take out your study guide. Come on, pull that study guide out. You have a brand new study guide in your worship bulletin today. Thank you, ushers. They're coming your way. If you didn't get a study guide, just hold your hand up up in the balcony. Put your hand up. Our ushers are coming your way. You want this, you want this one today. Now, those of you watching on uh, live streaming, we're delighted to have you wherever on earth you are. You're watching on television. Glad for you as well. Let me put our website on the screen for you and then you'll get it. You see it there on your screen right now. www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for a series called Galaxy 3. This is the next to the last. It all comes to a conclusion next Sabbath. By the way, big Thanksgiving celebration next Sabbath. Bring a bag of food with you as a part of the celebration. You'll see how it fits in. Next to the last, title of this teaching, From Flower Girl to Bride. Once you find that, uh, that title, click on the study guide right beside it, and you'll have the identical study guide. Let's go.
But first, let's read verse 14. I want to show you something, something rather unique and controversial underneath the surface. Verse 14 again, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Would you jot that down, please, in your study guide? Solid food is for the mature. Jot that down. Very interesting. Keep your pen moving. The Greek word for mature is teleos, a word that is often translated perfect in the New Testament. Jot that down too. In fact, the word can be translated perfect, complete, whole, full-grown, mature. It's from the Greek root telos. It means the end, the culmination. Now, watch this. Let me just show you in Hebrews. Eleven times this little root is used in just the book of Hebrews, so it's a big deal. Let me jot down a few of these. We've been to this one before, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, jot it down. Son though he was, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, same word as mature, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Here's another one, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, jot it down. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author, that would be Jesus, the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Here's another one, Hebrews chapter 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, Christ has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is the same Jesus who in His mighty Sermon on the Mount actually used the words, be perfect. Matthew 5, 48, jot it down. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Identical word. So here's the controversial question. Here's what I need you to wrestle with me through. All this talk about being made perfect or being perfect How much of all of this has to do with sin and with quitting sinning? Hmm? Are we supposed to become perfect, eventually coming to the place where we no longer sin? Is that the deal? Or is perfection a spiritual state that we reach when we finally get to heaven? I'm asking you. How seriously should we take this notion about being made perfect? And living as we do near the end of time, does that up the ante for the need to be sinless? Is it even possible? A whole lot of energy has been expended, trust me. Oftentimes generating more heat than light. A whole lot of energy in the the decades and centuries past of Christian history over this matter of perfection, Christian perfection. Ooh, Christian Adventist perfection. After all, Hebrews 12 is in our Bible. Yep, a few pages over. Look at this, Hebrews 12. This verse is there, so what are we going to do with it? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Hit the pause button right there. What are you talking about, Hebrews? Oh, he has just finished. The writer has just finished outlining the Bible's Hall of Fame. Hall of Faith chapter. So just turn one page back to Hebrews 11. Let's just see some of the people. Some of the people who are listed here. We won't put anything on the screen. We'll just kind of track our way. Oh, there's Abel. Well, Abel was the first martyr, so he has, he died perfect. Well, wait a minute. Do you know that he was offering a sacrifice for his sins? Well, I guess he wasn't. Well, here's another one. Enoch. Enoch was taken from this life. Why? Because he was commended as one who pleased God. He just disappeared. Was Enoch perfect? Well, maybe we give you that one. Oh, here's Abraham, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go out to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he went and obeyed. Oh, Abraham, Father Abraham. Yep, he's perfect. This guy who lied his way and then took a wife that wasn't his wife, please. 
Anybody else hearing this? Oh, yeah, here's Jacob, verse 21, Jacob. Oh, no, forget Jacob. His name means cheater. Let's go on to the next one. Joseph. Joseph. Hey, hey, I got to tell you this. Joseph and Daniel, two people in the Scripture against whom not a single word is spoken. The most complete lies we have, Joseph and Daniel, not a word. Well, maybe they rank it. And then there's, by faith, Moses. This would be uh, verse 23, verse 24. Moses. Oh, no, but this is Moses who murdered the Egyptian. That's right, yeah. Oh, and this is the Moses who melted down on the brink of going to, the, to Canaan land. Oh, I can't use him. Oh, here, yeah, here's one we can use, Rahab. By faith, the prostitute. Oh, no, forget it, prostitute. <laughs> no, can't be that one. How about 32? Oh, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, uh, Jephthah, David. Ooh. Ladies and gentlemen, it is obvious when you go through the Bible Hall of Fame that this great cloud of witnesses that chapter 12 refers to, would you jot this down, please? The checkered life heroes of Hebrews 11 were hardly sinless. That's very clear. You just go through. Which, by the way, is a huge clue that the word for perfect is most accurately and most often best rendered mature. Which does not mean, oh, big caveat now, here comes a huge caveat, which does not mean to suggest that being perfect or mature has nothing to do with ridding sin from our lives. Okay, let's go. Verse 1 again. Okay, so this is Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Pause button again. Would you jot that down, please? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know, when I, when I ran the, uh, the uh, Chicago Marathon a few years ago with 40,000 of my closest friends, I was amazed. I was amazed at how much clothing the elite runners who are way in the front of the pack, how much clothing they threw off. I mean, I'm way back in the pack. In fact, I tell you the truth. When the, when the sound, starting gun sounded, it took us 20 minutes just to get to the starting line. But when we got to the starting line, we saw it littered, strewn all over the road. We, 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 you have running suits, coats, gloves, caps, everything thrown down. You know what's happened? Just before the gun sounded, the elite runners know they're trying to keep warm, trying to keep warm. But when the moment comes, strip, 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 down to the bare essentials. Why? Because when you run away a race and you want to win, anything that entangles, adios. That's Hebrew's point. If you're running a race, if you're running a race, how does it put it here? Let us throw off everything that hinders us and every sin that so easily entangles us because Hebrews defines sin as the great impediment to the race of life. You got to chuck it, throw it, strip down. Hmm. Just how serious, by the way, Hebrews is about abandoning sin becomes crystal clear if we just keep reading. All right, I'll get one more run at this now. Verse 1 again, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Ready? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Verse 2, the pioneer. Well, oh, I like that, pioneer. That makes us feel good here in Pioneer, doesn't it? 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now keep reading, verse 3. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now here it is, verse 4. This is the one we're looking for. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. No namby-pamby trifling with sin is being suggested here, that's for sure. In fact, it very clearly, we are being taken to that dark midnight hour in Gethsemane when Jesus lies prone, prostrate on the cold earth. And with loud cries and tears, as we read in Hebrews 5, with loud cries and tears, he is sobbing, begging, Abba, Father, you must deliver me. Don't let me drink this cup. Take this cup away from me. Why? Because it's hand-to-hand -hand now, the king and the rebel, hand-to-hand -hand in the shadows, one-on-one, -on -one, and the rebel, is, the rebel is taunting. Boy, daddy's boy, who'd you come for? These snorers, just a stone throw away, you're going to die, and these are the closest, this is the best you can do? Take, uh, pack up your little bag and go back to Abba. This is my world. I have them. The intensity of that struggle is so strong that the capillary system presses against the very skin itself and oozing from his pores all over his body comes a sheet, a sheen of crimson and sweat. In fact, Luke 22 says the sweat was so thick that it dropped off of him bloody sweat on the dark earth. Anybody here shed their own blood over your struggle with sin? That's a rhetorical question, and it deserves one answer. Nope. Not I. Have we taken sin so seriously that we would sweat blood to avoid falling? Nope. Obvious we haven't. How does Paul, how does Hebrews put it here? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Wow. What's the sin? Hey, hey, you tell me. What's the sin that so easily entangles us? Do you suppose this could be the sin of this generation? You say, well, what are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about this. Excuse me just a minute. Ooh. Excuse me just a You know what I'm talking about, because you do it all the time. <laughs> Could it be the sin of selfies? Ryan Dobson in the Wall Street Journal, listen to this. He wrote a piece entitled, Get Over Your Selfie. <laughs> I'm going to read it to you, just, just a few lines from this column. By the way, he's the son of the famous James Dobson. You might remember Dr. Dobson. All right, so here it is. The headline, he writes, he writes, the headline made me laugh. So here's the headline. Morning Joe thinks Kim Kardashian's new selfie book is a sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, I'd laugh too. Yeah, Ms. Kardashian's Selfish, and that's the name of her book. It's entitled Selfish. A collection of pictures she took of herself is no joke. Some enterprising publisher is betting readers will pay $20 per to flip through 352 pages of bad lighting and self-absorption. 
And if it does sell well, maybe the end really is near. Another selfie made the news this week. On the coast of Portugal, a Polish couple climbed over the guardrails to snap themselves with the sea as a backdrop while their two young children watched. Mom and dad backed off the cliff and fell hundreds of feet to their death. And then he asked this question. What's with this culture of all me all the time? And does anyone have a picture more important, what's the alternative? And does anyone have a picture of that? All me, all the time. Is there a picture, an alternative? Yes, there is. Read it again. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Dobson put it? I'll put Dobson's words on the screen for you one more time. What's with this culture of all me, all the time? More important, what's the alternative? And does anyone have a picture of that? Oh, we certainly do. We have a picture of Jesus on the cross. Look at this picture. Desire of Ages. You have it in your, your study guide. You need to fill it in. Looking upon the crucified Redeemer... We more fully comprehend the magnitude and meaning of the sacrifice made by the majesty of heaven. The plan of salvation is glorified before us, and the thought of Calvary awakens living and sacred emotions in our hearts. Praise to God, and the Lamb will be in our hearts and on our lips. Now, here comes the line. For pride and self-worship, pride and self-worship cannot flourish in the soul that keeps fresh in memory the scenes of Calvary. Isn't that something? For a generation, would you jot this down? For a generation whose prevailing sin is our selfies, what else can heal us but our Savior on the cross? Keep your pen moving. Roger Moore knows, it turns out, his idea of reading the story of Calvary every morning as a part of our worship is a remedy whose time has come. Every morning I read Matthew 27, verses 24 through 54. In the presence of Calvary, pride and self-worship cannot flourish. That's the only antidote there can be. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Does that mean we can just snap our fingers and, yo, adios, selfie? Nope. I put it on the screen, Christ's object lessons. Fill this in. Christ has given us no assurance that to attain perfection, oh, there's that word again, that to attain perfection of character is an easy matter. A noble, all-round character is not inherited. It doesn't come to us by accident. A noble character is earned by individual effort through Key word, through the merits and grace of Christ. It is formed by hard, stern battles with, and you can write in the word selfie. Hard, stern battles with self. Conflict after conflict must be waged against my hereditary tendencies. I got this from my daddy. I got it from my great-grandmother. Doesn't matter where you got it, you got it. We shall have to criticize ourselves closely and allow not one unfavorable trait to remain uncorrected, end quote. 
I'm telling you, Dwight, that's exactly why. I'm telling you, that's exactly why the standard of perfection, I don't care if you want to call it maturity, it doesn't matter to me. It is just too high for me. It's too impossible. There's no way I can finish this race. I quit the race. Too many have bailed out, but not you. No, no, no. In fact, were you here last Sabbath? Were you here last Sabbath? Do you remember the story about Robert Whelan? Were you here? Oh, you weren't here? Let me tell you the story. Robert Whelan, missionary for years in Africa, comes back to Andrews University, enrolls in our theological seminary, and he's taking a class in advanced Greek translation. Oh, he said this class was so hard, it was so difficult that the lectures were just like great waves of flowing over my head. I can't connect. And finally he goes into the professor, Dr. Leona Running. And he says, Dr. Running, I quit. I, I cannot do this. And she looked into his face and spoke these words, Bob, I think you should hang on. Stay in the class and I will see that you get through. And then he writes in his great book on the gospel, and she saw me through, patient, persistent, determined. She helped me so much that in the end, I not only passed, I got an A. And so it is with our heavenly teacher. If we'll stay in his class, it is his work to see that we pass. Yes, that we get an A. His business is being a savior. Let him be what he is. Let him be what he is. Let's switch the metaphor. It's not, about hanging, it's not about hanging in the class. It's about staying in the race. His business. That's why, you know, do you know what he does for a living? Savior. That's what he gets paid for. His business is to get you to the, to the end, to the finish line. Just let me help you run. I'll take that. I'll throw, you don't need that. God, God, God. Come on, girl. Boy, you're doing it. God, I'll get you. I'll cross the line with you. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, this isn't bad news. This is glorious news. In fact, I've got to share this with you. You haven't seen this one before. Put it on the screen. Ellen White. Christ made an offering so complete on Calvary that through His grace, oh boy, jot this down, everyone, everyone, everyone may reach the standard of perfection. Everybody. He isn't trying to keep us out. He's trying to get us in. Of those, now I put the numbers in here, but one more sentence. Of those who, one, receive his grace, that's what you do, Lord, I receive your grace, and two, follow his example. We just had these young men and Lori up front. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. As you follow his example, of these, it will be written in the book of life, complete in Christ, without spot or stain, end quote. Everyone can win the race. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. It's no wonder that it reads this way. It's, let's read it. Read it again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. By the way, just those words remind us of a promise Jesus made to the church of Laodicea, the last church on earth. He says, I'm making this promise. I'm making this promise to you. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, to her, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me. Can you believe this? You're going to be on the throne too. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Everyone may be an overcomer. Everyone may sit on the throne with him. Amen. Yeah, yeah but do I come on, please. You don't know me. You don't know how hard I've tried to overcome this particular sin. I hate it. I hate it. But I just can't seem to get over it. I can't seem to overcome it. In fact, it keeps overcoming me. There are more than a few of us who can say those words right now. And for you and me, then comes this glorious good news. I'm going to end with this. If I could tear this page out of the little classic, translated in 114 different languages, the little classic Steps of Christ, I would give everybody here that page. Instead, I put it in the study guide, just a few clusters of sentences. Hang on to the good news. Let's go. That little classic, Steps to Christ, these are from that book. There are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ and who really do desire to be children of God just like you and me. Yet, they realize that their character is imperfect. Boy, isn't that you? Isn't that me? Their life faulty, and they are ready to doubt whether their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit to such, I would say, do not draw back. Don't quit. Do not draw back in despair. We shall often. I want you to write that word down. Some of us don't remember that word. Maybe you never heard it before in your life. I want you to write it down. We shall often. How many times, congregation? How many times? Let's say it louder. How many times? Often, you and I, we shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even, even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off. We are not forsaken. We are not rejected of God. Hallelujah. That's good news. No matter how many times you fall, you're not cast off. I'm here to help you back up. Keep going. Finish lines this way. Stay with me. Fix your eyes on me. I had a young woman in my office in tears, discouraged, defeated, practically in despair. Woman, I want to say for you, this is your promise. Boy, this is for you. Another cluster of sentences here. God desires, put it on the screen, please. God desires to restore you to himself to see his own purity and holiness reflected in you. And if you will but yield, you may have my life, Jesus. If you will but yield yourself to him, he who has begun a good work in you will carry it forward to the day of Jesus Christ. Now, jot this down. Pray more fervently. There are two things we can do. We can pray more. He said, Dwight, I can't pray more. Oh, of course you can. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not hard. Pray more fervently. Believe, trust more fully. That's it. Pray and trust. As we come, now hold on, hold on. As we come to distrust our own power, let us trust the power of our Redeemer and we shall praise Him who is the health of our countenance. Do not give up. You can grow up in Him. Yes, you can. Pray, trust, 
I'll get you through. Now, hold on. This gets even better. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the next to the last cluster. The closer you come to Jesus, the more... What's that word? Yeah, but what's that word? Faulty. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes, for your vision will be clearer and your imperfections will be seen in broad, distinct contrast to His perfect nature. There's one perfect person in this story. It is He. The closer we come, the more we can see, the more we can see, the worse it is. That's, that's, that's by design. You can see now. That means, oh no, I, I, I want to get closer. Good, good, come on. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you'll appear. Your vision will be clear and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to His perfect nature. Now keep reading. This is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power. He's lost it in your life. If you keep seeing bad stuff in you, he's lost it. He's been trying to keep you from seeing that all your life. He's losing and he knows it. Stay with Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Ah, this is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power, that the vivifying, the life-giving influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. Now, one more line. You need to catch this. No, no deep-seated love for Jesus can dwell in the heart that does not realize its own sinfulness. Isn't that something? Anybody who goes about boasting that she is on the verge of perfection is living proof that the very opposite is true about her. You can't. The closer you come to Jesus, the less you will talk about how it's going. Look at me. No. The closer you draw to your Savior, the more sinful and faulty I become to me. So the, like the publican, our prayer is going to be, God, be merciful to me, the what? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Final cluster. Ah, oh, this, is, this is wonderful. Here we go. The less, jot that down, please. The less we see to esteem in ourselves, the less we see to esteem in ourselves, the more we shall see, we shall see to esteem in the infinite purity and loveliness of our Savior. The more our sense of need drives us to Him and to the Word of God, the more exalted views we shall have of His character, and the more fully we shall reflect His image. Isn't that something? The closer you get, the worse it looks, but the more you reflect Jesus. I guess you can't go by your gut feeling, can you? You just keep drawing closer and closer and closer. Let us fix our what? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus and grow up in Him. Now, listen, I need you to get this one sentence. I'm telling you the truth. The Bible call to perfection is simply Jesus' call to grow up. Hey, if a flower girl... Now, help me out here. You, you, you know a lot about weddings. If a flower girl stayed a flower girl all her life, wouldn't we call that arrested development? Please. Flower girls, everybody knows, grow up to become brides. And a bride is what Jesus is longing for. A bride is what Jesus is waiting for. A church, a generation within the church, a remnant community that is growing up, as Paul put it, to the whole measure, the fullness of, of, of Christ. From flower girl 
to bride. That's, that's what he's calling us to. I tell you what, to quit growing now, listen, to quit growing now on the eve of the king's return would not only be arrested development, it would be a generational tragedy. God isn't going to rush anything. He'll take the next generation. I'll take the next one then. He will have a bride, and he's calling you and me to be that bride. For when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But then I grew up, and I put childish things away. And the sin that so easily entangles me, the appeal of Scripture, I am calling you to grow up. Please, in me, grow up. Let's pray. Oh, God. You don't mean that in an angry way. You don't mean that in an impatient way. Apparently, it's, it's the longing of all of heaven that you would find a generation at the end of time on this planet who have locked their eyes onto Jesus. And with that vision, are growing up in Christ. Oh, Father, if there is something that is entangling me in this race, grant to me the courage and the grace to strip it off and keep running. We want to finish the race. We want to run with Jesus. So please, keep our eyes on him. We pray in his name. Amen.